Hello, creeps. I'll be your ghost. I mean host. As we delve the crypts of spooky movies and even spookier theory. Welcome to Horror Vanguard. Welcome everyone to a abrupt and sudden bonus episode that's been a few months coming now as they have released yet another Resident Evil film into the cinematic bloodstream. I am your co-ghost Ash, joined as always by... Hey everybody, it's John. Um, we're, we're back, we're back. My, my, my disappointment is immeasurable, my day is ruined, I'm back trapped in this sisyphean nightmare of talking about the resident evil movies again when will i (laughs) when will i know peace we are we are forever imprisoned in in the resident evil panopticon and um i don't know we just have to one day we'll get to go to japan and play the resident evil canon pachinko machine and that that will give us freedom (laughs) winning the pachinko machine is what earns us our escape um and and then we will have to deal with the oncoming Netflix live action TV show. <laughs> oh, well, at least we get to have some fun today um, and enter into our uh, TikTok formalism zone. Uh, yes, we are talking about Resident Evil. Welcome to Raccoon City. Um, and I, I, I've genuinely lost count. I've genuinely lost count. I don't know... I don't know now how many of these we've done. <laughs> I wish that I had a clear understanding of the continuity of Resident Evil anymore, but there's just, there's so much. There's too much. <laughs> One could easily argue. Then, then let us deal, let us deal with what we have in front of us. Let's, let's, let's face the nightmare head on. Um, wh- where do you want to start? Uh, so I, I want to start with uh, something that was, I don't even want to say controversial, but it was a talking point when this movie came out. So this Resident Evil stars an interesting spin on uh, Leon S. Kennedy, uh, and that was casting um, Avon uh, Jogia. I'm sure I'm saying that wrong. <laughs> Forgive me. But uh, so this actor is a TikTok star? If I'm understanding this correctly, um, I am not a TikToker myself. Is that even the term for someone who uses TikTok? Um, however, my, my controversial side take here is that I think this is the best on-screen Leon ever. And like, and I think it's because it, it captures something unique from the from the first game, you know, where, where you play Leon, right? Resident Evil 2. Um, and, and that's like Leon is, is a greenhorn cop. He's a new hire. He doesn't know what he's doing. It's his first day on the job in the big city. And this Leon captures that. This Leon captures that insecurity, that ineptitude, that that kind of like just starting out your job and you don't know what you're doing and then a zombie apocalypse happens. Whereas I think other, you know, like increasingly the Leon in the video game is like a, a master assassin, black ops operator guy um, who is ultra competent with every weapon and vehicle and martial art known to man. But I think that having a Leon who is like confused and scared and uncertain allows us, the audience, to be confused and scared and uncertain. Um, yeah, I think so. And I think I think it's credit to the film for because essentially this is a soft reboot, right? This is this is yeah. um, trying to reset the continuity 
as far as I can tell, and trying to kind of clean up some of the some of the some of the mess of the of the <laughs> of the nine hundred wild Paul W S Anderson movies, um, and set up for for a sequel. So, like the director said that they were very much interested in going back, stripping things back, right, getting rid of. Um, ma- making everything less complicated and returning specifically f- to the first two games. Yep, mm-hmm. and I totally agree. That's why that's, that's why this Leon is is um, like arguably the most the best character in this entire film. Certainly the best actor because a, a lot of the rest of the acting I'm not I'm not I'm not wild about. Um, but it, it kind of ties into a bigger problem with this one, which is. This feels like Resident Evil and Resident Evil 2 fan fiction. Oh, a- absolutely. Like Resident Evil's 1 and 2 are some of my all-time favorite video games, partly because they're really formative kind of media experiences for me, right? These are some of my first encounters with these like, you know, video ludic narratives and mediums and and I just have a deep love for these early Resident Evil games because they have like they're they're so interested in exploring the cinematic qualities of gaming, right? The fixed camera angles, come on, wonderful. Um, and and to see them mashed together, it's interesting. Although I, I think it does make this movie frantic, and and like it's trying to fit way too much in. I think I think. Okay, so so a, a kind of a big problem is like it's very cool in this film to be like. Oh my god! It's it's the Spencer Mansion, and it looks mm-hmm. it looks amazing. It looks like just like it did in the game, or you go, oh, that's cool! It's the Raccoon City Police Department, um, the old building. That's amazing, but they're not able to really do anything with the locations that they're in, except go, yeah. hey, it's just like that game that came out. Um, and what it made me yes. what it made me think about was our episode with um, Agab on Resident Evil. Um, mm-hmm. And the way, like a few years ago, I mean, the Resident Evil video game con- continuity is just bafflingly unhinged, just, just, just amazing. So they made RE Seven, they made Biohazard, which goes in completely the opposite direction, right? It's incredible. It's mm-hmm. it's like it's such a good survival horror game. And the final the final sections, maybe you kind of throw in a lot more of like. Oh, Chris is here now, and and oh, it's Umbrella, and but like yes. for a long portion of it, it's like it's genuinely trying to do something new. And I got to be honest, a lot of this film was just like it felt like it felt like a film director going, "Hey, do you remember those two great video games? Remember?" And you're like, mm-hmm. "I could just play them again." <laughs> and and yeah, so, so much of this is like it's like bloat. Like there's a scene early on where like Jill steals a sandwich from Do you get Wesker, it? Do you get it? Do you get it? And and she's like she she just like practically like looks at a camera, walks off set and goes, "This is a Jill sandwich now." Wink. Uh and and I I'm just like it would have been enough for her to steal the sandwich from Wesker or or, or to have her eat a sandwich. That would have been enough. Like I, I there's way too much desire to nod and wink to these moments in the games that have become mimetic in a way like the in the sense of being memes right like this this is this is a movie about resident evil memes yes you know oh there's the rocket launcher 
There's this. Oh yeah. There's, oh my there's God. the sandwich, and it's like, do you get it, guys? Do you, remember, remember the thing. Oh. And it's like, I, did, did you find all the typewriters? Did you see them all? Yeah. <laughs> did you get all the weird shaped keys? <laughs> I hated that so much. And th- this, 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 I think, um, kind of ties into like a problem I have with this, and that's kind of like translating gaming to movies. And I think what directors and screenwriters try to do is they try to translate the visual and narratological aspects to, to, to the screen, right. To cinema, because that's where they come from, right. These are story writers and filmmakers, but I think that misses the point because the the point of resident evil, kind of the thing that you experience while playing it isn't just those two elements, but it's also the ludic quality. It's the feeling of playing resident evil. And when you play a res- the, these first two resident evil games, especially it's, Especially, it's uh, it's disempowering. It's tense. It's slow. You know, you're you're scrambling for resources and avoiding conflict. And and the movies, I think, fail to go there. Fail to grasp that. I, I think you've hit on like maybe my big problem with it, which is that, and I I kind of approach this problem from the other direction, which is that this this film has a has has a very poor grasp on like the geography of a scene right yes um it like it's the the whole point about you 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 completely right like the re2 is scary because it's slow because the fixed camera angle restricts your vision the scarcity of resources like so every every enemy is like a threat but this moves it moves so quickly and the editing is it in places the editing is like quite weirdly paced so mm-hmm. so as you're watching you kind of lose all sense of the geography of like who is where in relation to who else and like there there are moments especially in some of the mansion sequences where you're like okay so who's 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 in peril now <laughs> right um yeah and i think it's cuz it's overcommitted to like just showing you the geography that you're already familiar with right so you lose right generating tension in a video game and generating tension on screen are two very different things and I get the feeling mm. it's trying to do some of the same things that the games did whilst not realizing it's a movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think like by combining Resident Evil 1 and 2, there, there are some interesting things to do with that. But you've got games that have kind of like antithetically opposed settings, right? The Resident Evil 1 is set in the Spencer Mansion in the Arclay Mountains. It's inaccessible, it's it's hidden, it's quiet, it's rural. And then you've got RE2, which is set in Raccoon City, a, a, a medium to large-sized American city. So now, now it's in the, like the metropole with, with the booming population and the shops and the lights and the cars and the noise and, like, and visual noise as well. And, and trying to cram them together, like it feels like the Arclay Mansion is next to... The police station when you watch this movie but for some reason everyone really wants to find this helicopter pilot and and it's it's just too frantic it's too frantic to jam two plots together and hope it all works out yeah i mean they're very obviously trying to set up for a sequel um but there's there's so much there's so much it, 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 in a way none of the none of the beats are, are kind of bad but like on a on a structural level the film just isn't terribly well put together right like the action scenes are kind of are fine but they're choreographed and shot in such a way that you lose any kind of tension from them um a lot of the a lot of the characterization is kind of rushed through so really you only get like 
everyone has to introduce themselves with their name. Otherwise, you're not really going to know who they are. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, mm-hmm. oh, hello, Chris, my brother, to whom I've been estranged for several <laughs> years. <laughs> and it's like, people, people right. don't talk like this. <laughs> Exactly. And, and everybody, and, and of course, you know, because you need to k- cram all these characters together, everybody knows each other, everybody grew up together, everyone's from the same city, and they're, they're all getting back together for the big zombie apocalypse. And it's, it's, it, it necessarily has to be convenient to get the plot of two full length video games into a single feature length movie. It's, it's just too, it's, it's, it's like hyper-concentrated. You boiled down two Resident Evil games, and, and now you've loaded that all into a syringe, and you're trying to, like, inject somebody with yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's, it's, it is, it is, a, it's, and once again, once again, the, the final kind of formal point that I wanted to bring up is that there's this, there's this kind of repetition compulsion happening, because once again, we're doing the same, we're doing the same plot where it's about we need a whistleblower. We're returning to. We're always returning to the yep. site of this original kind of trauma um, that is Rac- mm-hmm. Raccoon City, and it's like at a certain point, I'm kind of like this. This film isn't able to get out of its own history in order to tell a story that would engage anyone who doesn't already know what Resident Evil is. And and that's why, like, I love the uh, the the computer animated Resident Evil movies. Because you because you see these characters as they like grow and struggle and they're like their wants and needs bring them into conflict with each other and how they change over time and there's a, there's a real like it's weird to say this about the animated Resident Evil movies but they have a sense of like realism and maturity that a lot of the live action movies seem to lack yeah uh, yeah um, but there are, there are some things which are interesting here so why don't we why don't we try and dig into some ludic discourse. <laughs> Let's have some fun. So I know, I know you wanted to talk about deindustrialization in the context of Resident Evil. Welcome to Raccoon City. Well, I mean, this is this is a kind of interesting choice that they make. The film set in the in the mid nineties, and the whole the whole catalyst of the film is is uh, Umbrella moving out of this town and the town essentially co- collapsing. Mm. Um, I mean, two things here. So like the deindustrialization of the 90s it was a holdover from Reaganite and Thatcherite policies of the 80s uh, and secondly if it's set in the lot in the in the 90s it's it's essentially kind of set now right R- yeah. raccoon city is like the the haunted rust belt of america right it's just been it's a mm-hmm. it's a place that's just been left to decay um and i'm like okay so there's there's a potentially interesting choice to be made here Yeah, yeah. I think that's. I think some those aspects of the movie I think are really interesting and really engaging. Right? There's there's a scene where we see a big sign that says "Umbrella is your new family," and I I mean that that speaks so much to like the history of company towns and company neighborhoods and union busting, and the fact that like you know like union busting is the prelude to economic exploitation. Right. You you get you only get to the point of achieving a raccoon city zombie apocalypse by by fully destroying the power of the working class. Um yes, as we've as we as we all know, right? Any anytime <laughs> you have strong un- trade unions, there is no zombie apocalypse. <laughs> and that's wh- and that's why my zombie apocalypse plan is to organize a union. <laughs> it's the only way, it's the only way you'll make it. <laughs> 
So let's 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 take a divergence from that into the U.S. medical system. There's um again, this is kind of really early on in the film, but there's a, a moment where we see Leon in uh, leaving a diner, um, and he notices that the woman who uh, works behind the counter has is is bleeding from the eyes, uh, and <laughs> I like it's, it's got a very sort of I don't know maybe maybe that this is what you do in America, but it's just sort of like. Hey, um, <laughs> that probably seems not good. Do you want to maybe get that checked? Uh, and she's like, oh, "It's been it's been like this for, for for what? I think I think they say, oh, it's been like this for like a week or so." Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm sort of like, again, that's a nice that's a nice little bit of kind of world building here, right? Tying into these themes of like urban collapse, the lack of jobs, the lack of access to infrastructure, the dependence upon this corporation, which is just sort of upped and vanished and it's like there's there's the the germs there's the initial kind of seeds of like a really good contemporary engagement with the resident evil 2 world right at the beginning yeah and i think like this is really interesting especially when we do like comparative international zombie cinema like like all american zombie cinema is predicated upon tenuous relationships to medical technology because we, honestly like even if you've got money like you can still be instantly bankrupted by a sufficiently uh costly medical problem right and that's why so many americans ha- have said that before oh it's been like that for a while now part of me is just broken like and then you look at like british zombie movies and it's a lot less about tensions with relationships to medical technology um, and a lot more about like, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of like 28 days later and the rage virus and like geopolitical, like being stuck on an island kind of things or comedy films and cults and history and like, you know, different, different mediated relationships to technology. Yes, absolutely. Um, and this ties into like the whole, the whole, again, very, very poorly um, explained medical experimentation plot. That um, uh, that Claire uh, deals with, um, mm-hmm. which which to be honest, I was kind of like I was very disappointed by because you have this kind of sort of semi realist setup, and then you have this very it's it feels very retro. It feels like a like a kind of throwback to to earlier versions of Resident Evil where you go, but secretly there was the evil scientist who was experimenting. <laughs> it's like, it's it's fun, but I'm sort of like those two things where you have a kind of realistic engagement with a genuinely existing social problem and this kind of very campy evil scientist, mad scientist in the, in the cellar trope kind of collide with each other in ways that doesn't quite mesh, you know? Yeah, yeah, and I, I think this this definitely does speak to a lot of like, you, you know, like play enough Resident Evil games and you will quickly understand that like the lore, it's it's more, if, if you can understand the lore of a Resident Evil game, then every single Dark Souls from software title will, will just be a walk in the park yes. for you when it comes to <laughs> lore and storytelling, like... And I also know you wanted to talk about our, uh, our, our boys in blue, the Raccoon City Police Department. Uh, it- can, can we can we just talk about this film's attempt to make assault on precinct precinct thirteen? Um, Beautiful. <laughs> like, okay, like again on paper, assault on precinct thirteen, but with zombies, I'm sold. I'm I am there, but um, it lasts like 
maybe 15 minutes and then they just run out the back door <laughs> and so I'm like oh but where was that oh never mind <laughs> yeah and, and I, I, I got i gotta say though um so one of my favorite characters in this movie and, and it's down to donald logue's performance but chief uh, donald logue the, fucking the man amazing. who is completely aware of what kind of movie he's in <laughs> I I I was just like I I was I was so so here for that I was here with with Chief Irons every minute and I was just like phenomenal. This is what I want to see. Like this is this is the kind of you're you're absolutely right. He knows what kind of movie he's in, and everyone else needed to p- pick up their game a little bit to get on his level. He had so much energy, and like there's there's also a compelling aspect of his character too, because right you know like Raccoon City is your flagging Rust Belt city in America. Right. You know, like the chief of that city isn't going to be the same kind of social and economic power level as like uh, the chief of New mm-hmm. York or Chicago or Boston. You know, these these major American player cities, San Francisco, L.A. Um, and, and you see pretty much immediately that like when when uh, Umbrella Corporate has to lock down the city, they immediately break any kind of economic and social ties they had with the police department who they've been working with the entire time. And instead, switch over to their Blackwater guys. We'll get the yeah, job absolutely. done. Absolutely. And and and, and you, therein you see the kind of like you know uh, social control and protection of property function that policing tends to play. Um, there's there's like six guys in the entire uh, police department as well. Um, <laughs> that's that's it's like uh, Irons is like, well, we'll send an Alpha team, and that only leaves Bravo team to hold down the fort here. It's like great, love it, love the video game logic. Um, <laughs> there's, there's no, there's no. It, it, what's weird is the way that it's filmed is that the the um, the RPD building seems to both be extremely big and at the same time very, very, mm-hmm. very small. <laughs> because there's a scene in the locker locker yes. room where Leon runs in and is ordered back to the front desk, and the locker room is basically the the size of my like um, bathroom. It's tiny. <laughs> but it's mm-hmm. also like in a building in yeah. a building which is also this huge gothic construction in the middle of a city and it's a police force of like just eight dudes um just 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 doing right. their thing and and this works in the video game because you get to spend like 40 hours lost in the labyrinth of the police station hiding from zombies and, and and it works in the game too because you come if you you know you pick up on all the lore you come to find out that the police inherited that building as the city kind of fell apart and it used to be a flagship art museum, which explains all the statues and weird decor choices and gothic interiors. But in the movie, it's just like, oh, do you remember that big scene where you first walk into the police station? Well, here it is again. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, and I, I I I did like that kind of again it. A lot of this comes down to how this film is put together. Um, weirdly, it feels very padded and also like structured to go by really too quickly. The scene where Irons drives into basically uh, um, a the private military contractor's blockade and kind of realizes that everything mm-hmm. like that's a great scene, um, but it was done. It was done weirdly. It was done a lot better in the Paul W S Anderson movies. <laughs> Right. Yes. Yeah. I, I I do think the Paul W. Sanderson movies are better paced and better composed. They're less rushed, and that sounds so weird to say. Um. But yeah, there's there there are so many of these kind of interesting ideas, like the collapse of American industry, 
um, you know, the massive corporation that controls entire towns, as Amazon would love to do. Um, the big sign that says "Umbrella is your new family." Like there's so there there mm-hmm. there are these kind of just like snapshots. There are these moments from a much better film in the in, in here. Right. And if you'll indulge me, I would like to uh, do a very quick uh, but thorough dive into one of the most iconic scenes in the Resident Evil franchise. Oh, yes. Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay. Okay. So speed run through this one uh, to keep the mini episode tradition alive. Um, So there's a scene that if you're familiar with Resident Evil movies in the slightest, you'll be familiar with the scene of a trucker eating a just incredibly gross diner burger as, as they drive uh, uh, their truck to Raccoon City, and the burger is just dripping with grease and slopping everywhere. Um, and this this leads to them striking a pedestrian wound, which gets them bit by a zombie, which precipitates the truck crashing in downtown Raccoon City and kind of starting the events of the game. Um, th- of course, this movie is going to include that because it's another Resident Evil meme, and this is this movie is Resident Evil memes dot MP4 entirely. And but I, I I wanted to kind of like pry that scene apart for a second, right? Because like, you know, like that's kind of made it. Uh, that's kind of like that scene was a joke at the expense of kind of like American culinary tr- tr- traditions, right? Like because when when the the original Japanese game developers made that sequence, they wanted to make the most disgusting food they can think <laughs> of. But when it played in America, people were like, "Ooh, juicy burger!" Me yeah, like yes. Um. So they they failed to understand that we like the disgusting burgers because they're disgusting. <laughs> But I think what this does is it, it is an interesting study in class, right? Because the trucker the trucker isn't eating while he's driving because they like to do that, right? Because that's something that's enjoyable. This truck driver is eating while working because they have to, yeah. right? Because you have to get your goods there on time. You have to make time as a truck driver. So you eat while you drive. Um, and it's also a depiction of the working class as being inherently gross, inherently sloppy, this is how we code class, right? You wear a trucker hat, you wear flannel, you're spilling your food all over yourself like a slob. Um, there's a scene in this movie too where the truck driver is shouting, it's not my fault after he strikes someone with his truck. And I, I think this was this was really like really interesting and really telling, right? Because one, it, I mean, in this case, it's a little bit more ambiguous about whether it's in his fault, but we, we're, we're kind of like going through a political moment right now. We're like, so there was a truck driver named um, Rogel Aguilera Medeiros. He's 26 and he was sentenced to 110 years in prison. So that's, that's like, that's a death sentence. You die in jail. You know, no one, no one outlives that one. And that's because his brakes failed and, and uh, his truck crashed and it caused a, a serious incident and people died and were injured. Um, but it's not his fault that the brakes failed. It's the company who owns that truck. They're the people who should be paying for the upkeep and paying for this collision. Um, and, and, and his sentence was recently commuted to 10 years, um, which is a furic and hollow win at, at best. And, and, but this, this kind of like coinciding with the release of this Resident Evil movie and these legal proceedings, it kind of shows that like, is it really his fault that he has to be driving in these bad weather conditions and eating while driving and probably overtired and hyped up on caffeine? Like it's, it's a, it's a, you know, whatever personal implications that the truck driver in resident evil has in this, in this collision are kind of outweighed by the social factors that are grinding them to a halt. I think you've hit on something super important here, which is maybe a kind of bigger problem with the film as a whole, which is that like it, it, presupposes this this actually kind of much bigger problem right the 
the exploitation of work, the loss of uh, of, of um, industry, the collapse of infrastructure, the uh, the uh, inaccessibility of things like um, healthcare or uh, social care, uh, and you go, oh, okay, mm. so we're going to talk about kind of like the zombie collapse is actually it's actually it's actually the result of all of these systems starting to just decay and fray and and we could mm-hmm. focus really closely on a group of people who are going to band together and maybe survive they're the ones who've kind of fallen through the cracks as these things start to kind of pull apart but instead the film goes hey look it's a scary scientist <laughs> like <laughs> and i because I, I think you're right i think i think you know there's there's a, there could there could have been something more drawn out of these iconic moments, beats, and images from the first two games, but the film just wanted to go, just wanted to point to the thing, right? It's there's there's no yes. additional content, and so what you end up doing in that moment, for example, is uh, it's an it's an American or Canadian production restaging a Japanese impression of what americans are like it's like Wait, and, and in in this case too done done by a british writer and director yeah it's it's like a, it's like a copy of a copy of a copy yeah a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy of a there we go i'm auditioning for my nine inch nails cover band <laughs> uh maybe you could do the soundtrack for the next Res- resident evil movie <laughs> Yeah, uh, uh, Johannes Roberts, uh, call me when you when you make the sequel to this one. I am I am ready to score it with my acapella Nine Inch Nail cover band. <laughs> um, any 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 final thoughts? Any? Uh, honestly, after saying acapella Nine Inch Nails cover band, I've got nothing left in. <laughs> I mean, where else could we go? Um, I'm just I'm just going to enjoy this juicy cheeseburger as as I drive in a dark rainy night hauling cargo after after some strange person bit me on the side of the road. I assume that nothing can go wrong, but also I don't my job doesn't give me enough healthcare coverage, so I really can't stop to see a doctor. I'm I'm, I'm, I'm going to I'm going to go steal a sandwich and um watch <laughs> Okay, I'm going to go steal a sandwich and then watch Mila Jovovich uh ninja kick dogs in the head. <laughs> You almost became a John sandwich. <laughs> oh God, no more of these. Oh, no dear. more of these. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Goodbye, everyone. Until until Netflix releases the TV show. Goodbye. We hope you've enjoyed the dread discourse. Until next week. Stay spooky.